Today, I want to talk about something uh, It goes hand in hand with Leighton's amazing testimony. It's called, my sermon today is called The Weight of the Call. The Weight of the Call. And I, I, I really feel passionate about this, and I want to just say that everything, every time I preach, it comes from a place of I'm either walking through that or I've walked through it. Because I'm not a teacher. I'm not gifted to teach, and I'm not a reprimander. Uh, I like to preach because it's such a real thing. It's like, hey, we're, gonna, we're walking through this together. And so uh, it connects with me because the weight of the call, the devil has this really articulate, weird, messed up thing of lessening your call in your life. Because everybody is called, but he, he lessens the weight of it. He makes it almost a timid call. But the call of God is for everybody, everyone, every age, every path of life you've ever walked on. Good, bad, whatever family, whatever church, whatever denomination, you are called by God to do the work of God. And the weight in the Bible, weight actually is a definition of a much powerful word. It's the definition of glory. And the Hebrew translation, glory and weight are almost interchangeable. So the glory of the call, your call is... Its main purpose is to bring glory and, and, and praise to God. And the call is to salvation. And so, even if you don't fully believe me, if you're like, yeah, okay, everybody's called, I gotcha, that's good. Um, it is actually powerful. Because we don't deserve to be called. I don't deserve to be called. Maybe you guys do. I don't know. Which y'all, y'all, y'all might be holy. Uh, <laughs> I don't deserve to be called. I messed up a little bit too many times. I've said things I shouldn't have said, done things I shouldn't have done, went places I shouldn't have went, yet God still calls me because he loves me. And God still calls you even though you've messed up. It doesn't matter. So Matthew 22, it's actually me and Leighton were talking about it. We got the same inspirational uh, passage in the Bible as Matthew 22. And we're like, that's so cool. Uh, so it just sees, shows that God is, this is his heart for us. This is his heart. So Matthew 22, it's a parable Jesus is speaking. And Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing the wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without your wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So in this passage, Jesus is talking about two types of people. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. But that is on a much larger scale now, right? 
Because we are the Gentiles. We're the ones that didn't deserve. We weren't God's chosen. But because of Jesus Christ, because of that sacrifice, we are now entered into his kingdom. So we're the ones that they went out, the good and the bad, all of them. We're those people. And so what you have to look at, you don't really necessarily have to look at the ones before. Although you can learn from those, the ones that were invited. You need to look at the man who came without the right attire. He was called, invited, and showed up but was not fully prepared for the call that the king had placed upon him. He was not wearing the right things. Now, I'm not saying that you have to wear the right clothes, because apparently everybody that got this T-shirt, it's on the wrong sleeve, so I guess I wouldn't be considered wearing the right clothes. They all got it on their left sleeve, and they're like, ha-ha. I'm like, you know what? Okay. They printed it, all right? It's their fault. No, but you don't have to wear the right thing, say the right thing, do the right thing, but you have to be at the right heart to be used by God. And what I've really become to notice is being a church goer all my life, I've, I've worshipped reputation more than I've worshipped the actual call of God. And so I, I do the right things, not for God, but for reputation. I say the right things, I worship, I pray, I do all these things so that I can in some way earn the call of God. But you don't have to earn it. You just have to answer and you have to follow God's plan for your life. And it's really simple. So there's three things that I really want to touch on that will aid you in wearing the right attire to be called by God. These three things are your purpose, your position, and your perspective. It's really easy to remember because they all start with P. So I want to just dive in uh, to the first one, your purpose. Everybody wants to know what their purpose is. doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not. You're like, I want to know why I'm on this earth. I want to know what my purpose is. You know, you, when I was younger, I had a really misguided view of purpose because I thought it was, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. But I never really thought, like, what's the ultimate purpose of my life? You know, I want to make movies. I want to be a superhero. I want to, you know, do all these things. And it never really clicked in me that it really isn't my purpose. You see, the Bible says in uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30, and we all, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So first off, he calls you not based upon merit, not based upon who you are. He takes that weight off of you. And then he says, you don't even have to figure out your purpose. It's all my purpose for you. That's a stress reliever. You don't even have to figure it out. God has got it figured out for you. So he called according to his purpose. So you are purposed by God, but you cannot confuse it with your own desires. Because what I realized, and if you look at Proverbs 19, 21, The Bible says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So what I was doing and what a lot of us do is we confuse plans for purpose. We confuse these two things. We're like, well, I want to go to college. I want to graduate. I want to marry the right person. I want to have the right business. I want to do the right things. And you line up your entire life. You get your bucket list, but you never stop to think, is this my plans or is this essentially God's purpose for me? Because the purpose for God is a lot simpler than your plans might be. You know, like if I write out, you know, I want to find a girl, I want her to be like 
five nine. I wanted to have brown hair. I wanted to, you know, be kind of adventurous, but lean, you know, lenient too, and you know, all these. And they're like, you make this entire list, but the fact of the matter is, I'm creating a plan for myself that God has already created the purpose to fulfill what He has desired for me. And it takes a lot of the weight off. So I want us to focus on one individual in the Bible that probably, if he planned his life, he probably would have planned it a little bit differently than it went. Because his life was not easy. It was a little bit difficult. It was hard. He went through a lot of seasons where it would be hard to see God moving and working. But through the entire thing, he decided to focus on God's purpose for him. And so if y'all want to turn in y'all's Bibles, if you have them today, to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. And once you're there, you can say, there. (laughs) It's like three. (laughs) All right. So we're focusing on a well-known Bible character, Joseph. Joseph is almost like this, this, you know, character that we can sort of read and mimic our lives. We're like, okay, Joseph, yeah. You know, he went through tough times, you know, abandoned by his family, went into a pit, went to prison. And then Jesus ultimately raised him to power and gave him like this, this really blinged up fancy life. That's awesome. So I, I, can, I can handle the hard times for a little bit because soon I'll be in a palace. That's the essential plot of Joseph, right? No, it's not the plot of Joseph. You think Joseph's desire was to be stripped away from his family, taken from his lineage, taken to a place where everybody worshipped a different God than he's worshipped? It's not a story of rich, you know, rags to riches. It's a story of it does not matter what I want, desire, think I need. God has a plan and a purpose for me that is greater than my own. And because of him, I can survive the pit, the prison, the, the lied about, the, the, all these things. I can survive it because it's not about what I face here, but it's about the purpose that he is bringing there to here. That's what the scriptures say. It's the, the, the prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what Jesus, Jesus could have said anything in his prayer, but he said what the most important thing is that you keep God, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Joseph, I'm not going to read it, it's pretty dense, I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to touch on uh, some points throughout his life. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. I got my kids' names right there. Those are some cool names. His father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other brother, other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornament, a robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So Joseph was a dreamer. God gave him dreams, and he would see, the, he would interpret and tell these dreams. That's a gift from God. He was called by God to be that. But just because you're doing the right things doesn't mean everybody's going to see it as the right things. And so Joseph had two identifiers I want to focus on real quick. Those identifiers were his father's favoritism and his robe. 
So he had his father's favoritism in his robe, and that's what made people jealous of him. It wasn't the fact that he was a dreamer. It wasn't his call necessarily, but it was his identifiers, his father's favoritism and love and his robe. But you see, if that was what Joseph found purpose in, was his father's favoritism and the coat of many colors, it would have been a very weak call. Because he could not find his identity in that because those were stripped from him. His father, he was taken away from his father, and his robe was stripped and used as a template of a lie that his brothers formed. So his brothers were mad at him because of his favoritism from his father and because of the robe of many colors. But if he used that to identify, then his basis for his calling would be in the wrong things. But us as Christians, we do that a lot, right? Church, we identify as churchgoers. We identify as our parents are ministers. We identify as we're on the worship team. We can play instruments. We can sing songs. We, get, we serve in the youth. We identify as these things, and we try to derive our purpose out of them. Your purpose does not come in between these walls of this building. It comes from God. And your purpose, once you walk into this building, it's supposed to be a unifier between you and the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to them. And the division we allow to be in the church is not of God. Because purpose is supposed to be the plan of God to unify the entire church of God. This is the reason that there is purpose. Because without there being a purpose for the purpose, the purpose is not a purpose. There's a lot of purposes in that. (laughs) So he cannot identify with those two things. You see, because he did not identify with his identifiers, he identified with the creator of everything and found his purpose in him. That is why he could go to the pit and still have faith. That is why he could be mistreated in prison, lied on and still know that God is good because God purposed him to be in those places. See, not because he he had identity in his plan, but because he had a confidence that God knew his purpose. So Romans 9, 25 to 26 says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people there. They will be called children of the living God. We got to start living like children of the living God. Again, we look at the world and there's lies, deceit, anger, Anxiety, depression, suicide, homosexuality, all these things, which the church was supposed to be the beacon of hope for. That was our purpose as the church. We were supposed to stand firmly in the face of a giant and say, you might be big, but my God already gave us the victory to win this battle. That is the name of this church. Our stable point is victory church, not keeping these four walls and just talk to each other, those you agree with and do other things. We are supposed to be victorious against what? The enemy. The enemy is so, he's, I feel like he's giddy right now almost because he's just claiming and claiming and claiming. And he's just taking all that he wants. And the church has to be that thing that stands and says, this is not going to be allowed in my Father's name and my father's house, we are called to be the generation that says no. So in Isaiah 58, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, we're called, we're purposed, but what are we called and purposed for? 
Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, it says it. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring waters whose, uh, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will re- rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I get excited when I read that because this isn't me. This isn't my human flesh nature. I don't want to heal the broken. I don't want to, I don't want to face opposition. I don't want to do all that. But when I know the God that I serve, something in me desires to see that more than anything else in this earth. We are called to be repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. We are called to be restorers. We are called to see the things that are broken and have such a hungry desire within us to fix it that we can't contain ourselves but yell out the name of Jesus everywhere we go. This is our purpose. This is the church's purpose. To see the world where it is now and say, this can't stand because my God is better than this. We are supposed to be warriors, fighting, not standing back. And we're like, well, Jesus, we intercede. Blessed be he. Amen. That prayer that was spoken up there. No more lukewarm Christianity. You can't be half in, half out. You got to dive in because... I don't know when Jesus is coming back and I won't say that the severity of it is, but the thing is, is it will lead to death. If not physically, spiritually death. If we don't right now in the last days of being on this earth, say we are going to be Christians that say no, we're going to be Christians that will not lie over and say, this is just how it's going to be because we actually know how it's going to be based upon the scriptures that we read and quote and have in our Bible studies. This is our purpose as children of God. And this is our purpose as a church. Next, we need to focus on not just the purpose, but our position, our position as children of God, as people of God, as ourselves individually. Um, I'm a theater kid. So being a theater kid, a lot of people, when I tell them I'm a theater kid too, they look at me and they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, I don't know what it is about me that does not read theater kid. Maybe I should get glasses and braces and be like, I love Annie. You know, I don't know. They just look at me and they don't really see a theater kid, but I do. I love theater. I love acting. I love getting on stage. I love doing all this stuff. It's just fun to me. Uh, Mainly because I'm not good at sports. If you see me play basketball, you're just like, oh, poor thing. It's just a sad sight to see. 
Uh, but I do. I love theater. And so the thing about it is there's one thing in theater called blocking. It's called positioning. And what you got to do is when you're acting in a scene and it's all the crowds out here, naturally, if I'm talking to somebody, I'm facing them, right? You don't ever talk to anybody and be like, yeah, uh-huh, that's good, that's good. And they're going to think you're not listening, right? So you have to face it. It feels natural to do this. This is a natural thing for me to do is to talk to this person like this. But the whole time, my theater teacher, I don't know if y'all have seen Sing 2, but there's this monkey character that's like, tippy toes, tippy toes, I don't see your tippy toes, when they're like practicing dancing. It's funny. Uh, but, uh, but that's my, my theater teacher the whole time. He's like, position, position, blocking, I don't see you blocking. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like shifting back and forth like a Michael Jackson or something. And so I'm here and I'm blocking and she keeps going, position, I have to shift out. And then I'm like, position and shift out. And I keep trying to go to this natural conversation way. But if I keep in the natural and the comfortable, they're missing the entire impact of the scene, those that are watching me. So we try to stay natural. We try to stay comfortable. We try to stay with what feels good. But the fact of the matter is everything that you're doing will not impact those around you if you do not step out and face them and get a little uncomfortable. Because right now, and I fall into this too, what we have really been inclined to do is a lot of comfort zone Christianity. Really, we find places that we feel comfortable. And that's why there's so much division in the church because I've heard this before. Oh, those, that person doesn't agree with me, so I'm not going to hang out with them. You know, they, they, they don't think the same way I do. They don't look the same way I do. I'm not going to talk to them because I don't want to be uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable when I'm around them. And so that's what they do. And then you, you divide, and that's why you get, you know, there's 100-plus churches in a city with less than 10,000 people. That's division. That is not unity. There's 100-plus churches in a city with less than 10,000 people. You got people that, that are so, they, they just, they feel like they don't fit in because the reason they don't fit in is because the church has found a comfort zone. And it's like, if you don't agree with us, we're not going to let you in our walls. We're not going to allow you to, and then they'll, they'll go from church to church, to church, to church, to church, trying to find someone that agrees with them. What if we don't find people that agree with us, but people that'll fight with us? Cause sometimes you don't need the both. You believe in God? I believe in God. That's great. Let's fight with God. Oh, you don't believe in speaking in tongues? Well, I do believe in speaking in tongues. So I'm not going to talk to you ever. You're gross to me. Get away. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. God is God. No matter. There might be. There's these two things. It's called the, the staple points and then all the other things. And we get so messed up about all the other things that we don't even think. Do they agree with me on the staple points? Do they agree that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of, Je- that, of everything? Do they believe that power comes from him? If they do, then I'm fighting with them because there's a lot out there that disagree with that. And that I can't face that alone. I know that for a fact. People get really opinionated. You know what I have to tell myself a lot? My opinion does not matter. And then I get hurt. I'm like, why? Gosh. But I really I feel passionate about it. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the word of God. That's the only opinion that matters in the grand scheme of things. You might feel really opinionated that this one TV show is great. And then someone might disagree completely with you. What does it matter? (laughs) You both have opinions. Y'all both like watching TV. Just talk about TV. 
Yes, it might be awkward at first, but the thing is, is the more you get uncomfortable, the more you get comfortable with the uncomfortable, and then you can start causing the world to get uncomfortable when you walk out amongst them. Because the thing is, is, the world feels like the church is comfortable with it. And so you see a lot, you put a group of churchgoers in a group of the world, and you can barely tell the difference. That should not be that way. There should be a notable difference between a man and woman of God and a man and woman of the world. There should be no gray lines. There should be no lukewarm. There should be either in or out. You should be so uncomfortable when you hang around me that you just have to ask what's wrong with me. I want people to ask what's wrong with you guys. What's wrong with y'all? What is, what's messed up in your head that you act so weird? And then we can say, Jesus wrecked me. He messed me up. I messed up because Jesus messed me up. There's purpose for the position that God has you in. And so going back to Joseph in verse 39, he's now, he's, he's with Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites and now he's with Potiphar uh, in his household. And Potiphar's wife, he, she tries to seduce him and he's like, no, I'm not going to have any of that. And then she keeps trying, keeps trying and keeps trying. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then finally, uh, she gets him in this weird position where he like leaves his robe with her and then she goes and lies about him. And so he gets thrown in prison. A lot of us would look at that and say, well, he's in prison. He must have failed. The situation doesn't look very good. He must not be in the will of God. But the fact is, is even while in prison, the Bible says that Joseph was blessed. He was everything he did was successful, even in prison. So it does not matter what your situation looks like. If you're in the position that God wants you in, there's going to be provision. There's going to be blessing. So he's there in the, where God had called him to be in prison. And he's talking to these two guys. It's the, uh, the cupbearer and the, the, the baker. And he's talking and they have these dreams and he's discussing with them what their dreams mean, all these different things. And one of them, he's like, you're going to die. And the other one, he's like, you're not going to die. And the other one who's going to die is like, well, you I hate your dream expectations. Like, golly, could it give me another one? Uh, and so it happens. God gave him wisdom. He interpreted the dreams. It happens. And then what well, he tells the cupbearer, when you get released, tell them about me so that I can be released too. And it says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So for two more years, Joseph was in the prison. And so I imagine that conversation being very, very, like, intentional. He's talking to the cupbearer. He's like, remember me. you got to remember me. Look at this, guys. Like, remember me, please. Like, you're going to go out, and you need to remember me because this is my escape. This is what God is giving me to get out of this prison. Please remember me. And then he forgets him. And Joseph's probably like, God, that was my way out. I'm still in the prison for two more years. And a lot of us have maybe been there before. God, this seems like the thing I'm supposed to do. This seems like the job I'm supposed to take. This seems like the friend group I'm supposed to enter in. And then you leave, you, you step into it and nothing changes for two more years or for however long. And so you're stuck in this season of waiting, knowing that God's supposed to do something, but still not seeing the fruition of it. But it says that Joseph still was in the purpose of God. Even in those two years, he waited with with blessing and with intentionality because he knew, okay, that might not have worked, but God's destiny is not for me to be in this prison. Or even if it is, there's a reason for it. 
So he's even in this prison waiting for God to move, waiting for God to do something, but saying, God, you're good. It doesn't mean my situation always has to be good, but it just means that I can be here and still know that you are God. And so it does not matter what your position is. It just matters whose position you're on, whose side you are on. So Psalms 84 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And so I read, I was like, I wonder what the valley of Baca is. So I researched it. And in Hebrew, the valley of Baca means the valley of weeping, means the valley of sorrow. So what it's saying is, as they pass through the valley of sorrow, as they pass through a difficult season, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. So you may be in the valley of weeping. I don't know what situation you guys are in in your life. You may be there. But it is not a place for weeping. You can't let your situation define who you're going to be in it. So even though you might be in the valley of weeping, why not turn that valley into the valley of rejoicing? So you might be in a place where you're like, well, I've been praying for my children to come to God for so long. I've been praying for these, these loans to line up with college. I've been praying for vision for my future. I've been praying for God to really just set in stone a relationship I'm supposed to be in. And, and they're kind of not living for the Lord, but I really want you know, them to live for the Lord. So I'm waiting for that to happen and all these different things. It's just, you're all these stressors, but God is saying, maybe the best thing for you to do instead of worrying, is start praising the God who's going to make it happen. Maybe praise and worship and get on your knees and say, God, it's not clear, but you are clearer than ever. You are a good God. So I might not know what's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen is going to be your purpose for me. So you're, uh, the children of the wilderness, the Israelites, uh, everybody knows them. Everybody's like, well, at least I'm not like the Israelites. Uh, when you're kind of thinking of like you're in a bad place as a Christian. Uh, and there's, there's a promised land, right? And they see it. They see the promised land. And they're thinking, okay, we're not going to go into there. And God's like, no, I'm leading you to go there. I have, I have provision. I have, I've already claimed the battle for you. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to stay right here in the Valley of Weeping. We're going we're gonna to stay right here in the wilderness. So what God has spoke to me about that is so many of the church are remaining in the season of weeping when God's already called them out of it. You're sitting there like, God, when are you going to move? And God's like, I already moved three months ago. Time to go. Time to claim it. Because God is a gentleman. He is the most gentle man you're ever going to meet. He will not overstep your choice. He will allow you to choose him, and then he'll come and wreck it all. And he will move like you've never seen someone move before. And he will fulfill everything that you thought you had to fulfill in your own strength. And so don't keep looking at the giant in fear. Sure, your position may look like he's way bigger than me. And I am way smaller than him. But you are positioned on the winning side. You've already got the victory. So some of us need to get up out of our valley of weeping. Look at the giant we're facing and state the words of David. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. See, David was in a position that looked like God was not on his side. But he knew 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was positioned with the winning God of Israel. The king of kings, the creator of everything. He was like, there's no possible way I can lose this because God is on my side. And so lastly, you got to focus on your perspective. So you got to have your purpose, your position, and you got to have your perspective. And the perspective is one of, if not the most important thing. Because you can have a great purpose from God and not even perceive that it's God. You could have the perfect position from God and not even perceive yourself as blessed and glorified by God. So your perspective, because the perspective made all the difference from Peter sinking in the water or walking on it. The perspective of Peter is what made it from a miracle to a mistake. Because he stepped on that water to everybody else to look like a mistake. But because he kept his perspective on Jesus, he walked on it. And then the moment he looked at his situation... The moment he looked at his storm, the moment he looked at where, where he was, wh- what he was doing, this is crazy. I'm not supposed to be walking on water. He sank. So you have to get your perspective lined up. We got to fix our focus, church. We got to fix our perspective. If we don't have the right perspective, how are we supposed to show the right perspective to the world? If we are in service, in trying to gather information from a preacher, And yet we are on our phones distracted, not entering in, not taking in what we could be taking in, not worshiping. If a song comes on that we don't know and we instantly put our hands down and just like, I'll wait to the next one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know this one. It's just I don't feel it. I don't. God is more than a feeling. If we serve the God of emotions, how small is that God? We serve a God that can utilize emotions, but even there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, God, I don't feel you, but I know I love you. I know you're good. I know you're God. I can't feel you right now. I just walked through a breakup. I just walked through this season of trial. I just walked through all these things. I don't know why, but I still know you are good and you are God. So I can't feel it, but I will see you through to the end because I know there will be a moment where I will look back and say, oh, it all makes sense. This all makes sense now. You got to be like Gideon, who had he had this big army that it would have been difficult for him to fight against the the Midianites or the Ammonites. I get those two mixed up all the time. Uh, uh, but he would have been difficult to fight. But then God started taking more and more away till he was left with three hundred against an entire army. Three hundred. But the thing is, is God will take things out of your life. It may look like you're losing. But God is doing that so that when you get to the end of the battle, there is no doubt in your mind that only God brought you to it. That is how God works. He's good like that. So we got to fix our focus. We either focused on the, we're either focused on the storm, on ourselves, or we are just focused on whatever could be going on because the devil's really good at throwing distractions in your life. But the fact of the matter is you can't walk on water unless you focus on Jesus. You can't make it through the seasons of trial unless you're focused on Jesus. So lastly, we're going to look at Joseph one time more, and we're going to see in Genesis 45, it's talking about Joseph, finally, his brothers come, and he trial, and they give him trials, and he tests them, and uh, he asks about his brother Benjamin, and they bring him, and all these different things, and so he finally reveals himself to his brother, and this is what Joseph says in Genesis 45, 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. 
the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I think you need to focus on Joseph's response. He didn't say, it's okay that you did that to me because look at me now. I'm in a palace. I'm exactly, I am blessed beyond measure. No, he said, I had to go because God had a purpose for me to fulfill his kingdom. See, we really look at Joseph and we're like, it's a story of going from rags to riches. But actually, it's saying, I was never supposed to be here, but I'm here because God positioned me here. Because God has purpose for me here. And it does not matter if I'm where I thought I was going to be, who I thought I was going to be with. All that matters is that I'm the same in Sunday morning that I am when I go out on Monday. If you are not the same person when you are sitting at this altar than you are when you walk out that door, then you need to go deeper into your purpose for Jesus. You can't be lukewarm Christians anymore. God is saying, wake up. Wake up. Start now. Fight back. Because when the church starts fighting back, you might not see it the day after or the next day. But just like the angel was coming, he said, I had to war through all these things. The the response came the moment the prayer was prayed. It just took time. So God could be working and you just might not see it. But you got to get to your knees and you got to say, God, I am desperate to see you move. I am tired of being here. I'm tired of seeing the anxiety and the depression. So what is our perspective, church? Are we blinded to the attacks of the enemy? Can we not see that he is claiming territory over this nation, over the church, over the next generation? It is time to wake up and answer the call. Know your purpose. Realign your perspective. It is time to begin to praise even in our pain. Worship even in the pit. God is raising up warriors, but the church has got to step up and claim the victory. Because the battle was won 2,000 years ago on a cross. A man that didn't deserve it, sinless, sent to this earth so that here, 2022, on a Sunday morning, we could come to him and say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm broken. I need you, God. The thing is, is God doesn't need you. He wants you. God does not need you in the grand scheme of things, but he created you because he desperately wanted you. He wanted you in his kingdom. He wanted to see you purposed by him. He wanted to see you move and work. And the scripture says, and second, to love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. It's easy to play church. It's easy to say the right things, look the right way, do the right worship all those things. It's easy to play the part, but what is hard to do is to say, I'm broken and I need God. I can't do this on my own because it says this isn't the world is talking about. It's not saying the world is only loves themselves and the world is disrespectful to their parents and the world is ungrateful. It says this is the people we call church. They are calling themselves and acting religious, but they're denying me entirely. We can no longer deny God because guess what God is doing? And this is so good that he is doing it. He's raising up Elijah's. 
He's raising up David's, raising up Paul's. God changed the face of the world with 12 men that said yes. He changed the face of the world with one woman that came to his, that came to his uh, tomb and saw it empty. And he said, now go tell it. The beginning of the ministry started with men and women of God saying, God, I need you. I need you to move. I am called, but I don't understand it. And I'm purposed, but I don't see it. But I will walk with you until everything becomes clear. So if today you've been in a place where you've been going against the call of God, maybe it's easy to go with the call of God when you're in church, but you walk right out those doors and you become a completely different person. Maybe you've been lukewarm. Maybe you've faltered. Maybe you've sinned. God does not care. Because God still wants you today just as much as he wanted before you were formed in your mother's womb like Jeremiah. He said, for I knew you before you even formed in your mother's womb. And I called you to be a prophet to the nations. He called him before he was even born. So before you were even born, God had a plan and a purpose and a call for you. And just because you might have wasted a couple of years doing what you wanted to do doesn't mean that that call left you long ago. It's still here today. So if you're here today and you're saying, God, I want to answer that call again. I want to be purposed by you. I want to be used by you. Then we're going to open these altars this morning. And the ministers of the next generation are going to come up and they'll be here to pray and intercede for you guys. And it's hard to answer the call because I know we as people really like to think of ourselves as perfect. But it's okay not to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it but I'm purposed by God. So if you want to be called, if you want to be woken up again, if you want to see God move in yourself again, then these altars open. It doesn't matter how old or how young because the next generation is only going to be raised up by the older generation. So the older generation also needs to also say, hey God, I want to be called because I want to see where you're going with this. And there's power in all ages, all sizes, everyone. So if this is you, and you are just feeling like you want to be called again, and you want to be purposed again, uh, come up to the front, and we will be happy to pray for you and intercede.